Broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. From Studio C. Seizing your dimly lit room. Deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. So we have cordon off and we uh, keep ourselves protected by surrounding ourselves with Taliban fighters who provide our security. Today we're under the tutelage of our general manager. Co-general managers today. Your data and the 25th Amendment. Oh, boy, yeah, the 25th Amendment's back. Uh, Why is our data our general manager? Great report on the capabilities none of us, well, few of us had any idea private companies have to access information about us. Even based on the location of... Our location of our cell phones and everything we do with it. There's no name attached, but it's super easy to figure out who you are. Even more than I thought? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Well, I, I for years, up until about six months ago, I for years have been, I don't have, I have my privacy on, on my phone. So it does not work as a location device. And it's... Makes it cumbersome because lots of times I go to do something and I can't do it because I've got my so I got to go into settings, turn on privacy thing on. Okay, now I can access this, and then I go back to it and I turn off because I didn't want that. But I finally gave up and thought, whatever, whatever. Yeah. They're all gonna get it. They all got it. It's like our old producer Vince used to say, "They've got everything. Give up." That's that's where I am. That they they they've, they've got everything. So. Whatever. Well, and uh, this particular aspect of the technology, you're turning off locations is meaningless. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I thought you were talking about the fact that T-Mobile just announced that 40 million people, 40 million people, all their personal information, including their social securities numbers, were swiped. 40 million people. So th- th- it's just how many people have your social security number? And your address and your phone number and all that sort of stuff. And it's, what they plan to do with it, sure. Yeah, it's not It's not if anybody does, whether it's our government or bad guys, if you can differentiate between the two. Um, Whoa! Uh, but somebody, so many people have all of our information. Michael, call the FBI. I think Jack is one of those anti-government activists that we were warned about. He's the new terror threat. Oh, I'm absolutely an anti-government activist every single day. I, I, my kids, my kids have such a bad view of the government. They might, they have, might have the most negative view of the government of anybody their age in America, <laughs> outside Good. of people who live up in hills. <laughs> uh, I love this country. I love its people. Well, some of you, uh, and and I love the Constitution. I do not love the government. The idea that loyalty to the country is loyalty to the government is uh, is uh, twisted and misplaced. Um. So that's interesting about the uh, the information. So you're talking about information that the government has or the phone well, companies? I had the T-Mobile thing in mind, too. I'll give you the very short version, then we can go into it in a little more depth later on. But there are, uh, there are companies that can access anonymous just numbers, a little code of what phones are doing what. 
you're going to this website and that website. You're sending emails, blah, blah, blah. But then, and, and, and one specific case, how they figured this out is, is crazy, but, uh, has to do with a discredited priest. But they can figure out, I mean, like, okay, so what's my code? Nobody knows my phone's code, really, except maybe Apple, I guess, and they're not telling. But wait a minute. What coded phone is constantly being used at my house? Yeah. In the radio studio. All of a sudden, you have a very, very short list of codes that could be my phone. Sure. Well, that's what Edward Snowden said however many years ago that was. He said the, the idea that they can't figure out who you are is laughable. Mm-hmm. Also, the, the idea that they will never access any of that information is that laughable, too. It is, it is troublesome. You know, we're not there yet, but we have been going that direction for a while where if you're on the wrong side of whatever issue, somebody might decide to take a look at your phone information, see if there's anything there at all that would uh, embarrass you, might make you yeah. go away and stop saying certain things you're saying or leading whatever group you're leading. I think that will be a regular aspect of our lives before too very, very long at all. Wow. Remember last week we had the story that the Chinese have a dossier on every man, woman, and child in America. Mm-hmm. They've stolen so much information over the years. And now, our, come on, China! And then our own government. Oh, but we better. That's, that reminds me, I got some stuff I, I want to send to them uh, for my dossier. I want it to be complete. Yeah, we better start the show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. On this, it is uh, Wednesday Hump Day. I own a camel. It's Wednesday, August the 18th, the year 2021. We're Armstrong. <laughs> And we approve of this program. All right, let's begin officially now, according to FCC rules and regulations at Mark. Do you think that the four feet of marble that holds you above high in this chamber will help you from the fate of humanity, which you are unleashing? No! No! It won't! Wow. I'm with you. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm with you. So that's just a small portion of a much longer speech given by a uh, passionate man at a San Diego City Council meeting. Is that right? Or is it school Yes, indeed. He was talking about, uh, yeah, various mandates. Board of Supervisors meeting is what it was. Ah, yes. There you go. But uh, screaming about uh, mask mandates and that sort of thing. And um, so uh, I've mentioned this several times that I uh, spoke at a city council meeting. The only time I have in my entire life, which I'm ashamed of, Um, we all should do that on a regular basis, but one of the many things I learned by actually participating in local government was that those kind of crazy people go all the time. They've got a list of like 10 people they know are going to be there every week, every month, whatever it is, and, and say the same stuff. And they, you know, they sit there and listen to them and they get around to the people that showed up and said, yeah, okay. Anyway, um, so you just put in a stoplight in my front yard. What's the deal? You know, you get to some regular people that sure. Sure. It's colorful. It is. It's actually fairly entertaining. Yeah. I'm not saying consistently entertaining to go to your local city council or Well, that's not the goal. But it's definitely worth doing. The goal is not for it to be entertaining. It's like me well, arguing that's what with I my, demand. It's like me arguing with my son yesterday. I don't like this medicine. It doesn't taste good. That's not the point of the medicine. It's for it to taste good. We have to take it for other reasons. I'm an American. This is the 21st century. I demand to be entertained virtually every single second of every day. Show up to the city council meeting and say, um, is this entertaining? Because if it's not entertaining, I'm here. I, I, I need to be entertained. <laughs> Keep pointing a remote control at him and clicking it. Like trying to change <laughs> the channel. You're just trying to fast forward a few, few right. 15 <laughs> seconds at a time. I'm skipping right. this guy. I think I know what he's going to say. How come this isn't working? <laughs> 
Um, how? Oh, here's your number of the day. 15,000. That's how many U.S. citizens are still in Afghanistan. 15,000. Are you shitting me? That's Ian, Br- Ian Bremmer. Ian Bremmer from yesterday. <laughs> who dropped an S-bomb on our show for some reason. Oh, boy. 15,000 U.S. citizens. That's not the tens of thousands of people that are, you know, uh, Afghanistan citizens who helped us that we should get out. We're just talking about our own citizens that our president has said we're going to prioritize. Jack, 15, we plan for every contingency. And every then, contingency. I'm sure we got the clip. We'll play it later. Whichever one of those State Department putzes yesterday saying the Taliban is uh, allowing people to come in and we're going to hold them to that. He tried to use his tough voice. You're going to hold them to that. They're letting you do that because they think it's in your their best interests. And if they decide it's not, they're going to stop. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. We're going to hold them to that. Don't don't even don't even try that. All right. So pathetic. That oh is just God. weak. Wow. You're not trying to recapture to... any sense of dignity or, or power or spine. That, that's one of those things I like. Need to put in a notebook because we'll learn uh, in six months. Or 15 years, like how many billion dollars the State Department behind that guy's back was negotiating with the Taliban. And, and I would like to know if at the very, the very day that he said, we're going to hold them to that, his own State Department had cut a check for $3 billion to the Taliban to say, leave us alone, please let us get out. So holding them to that is making them call twice to remind them to, to send the bribe. Well, we we may send it. I don't know. Send it or we'll kill your people. All right, we'll send it. That's Great. just pathetic. Anywho, how's mailbag look? It's, uh, it's quite good. It's quite good. It's good. It's great. It's fine. It's good. Mm, just I know, thinking I know, about I Afghanistan. It. I was trying not to for a while. Okay. I just now I am, and I'm, I, I have really, my, my thoughts are evolving on it. Okay. Uh, from we, you know, there are times I think this is a puppet regime, the Afghan regime. You know, it didn't have the will. It didn't have the organization. It's silly trying to build a democracy in a tribal, you know, godforsaken country, blah, 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 to, you know, it was up and running. They were our ally, and we took away the assets we knew they needed to survive. The air power and the mechanics and the advisors and the trainers and stuff like that. We Did we abandon an ally? Because the idea of calling it a war is farcical. It's idiotic. No, no American service person has died since February of last year. So we were just there to support an ally. So any rhetoric explaining our leaving that includes anything like we had to end the war america's longest war you know blah blah we can't have a forever war is just dishonest you have to explain why we left an ally a weak one a corrupt one absolutely true but you have to explain why we left that ally to stand on their own when we knew they couldn't yeah i have the question i think around that whole thing that ought to be answered but we'll get to that later you already told us about mailbag what else do we need to know oh yeah if you're a T-Mobile customer, you had all your data stolen, but they're like the 10th people to have stolen your data, so I'm not sure that's right. a big deal or not. Um, right. I, I assume you're going to tell us more about the way that they uh, take all the stuff out of our phones. Oh, yeah. Chilling. Chilling. You'll chilled. be chilled. <laughs> be chilled. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, I started it out down a dirty road. I have, since I first started wearing glasses in eighth grade, been one of those people that let their glasses get so dirty. <laughs> That like other people can see the see how dirty they are and wonder how do you see out of those things? I I can't do that. It I makes know. me insane. I know there are people that like gotta always have spotless, and there are people like me just let it get coated over with dust and grease and goo and stuff until you just can't see anymore. You know, for the longest time, I was a uh, little spray bottle and one of those microfiber cloths guys. Mm-hmm. But you use that microfiber cloth a few times, and you're just smearing goo around. Right. Right. Well, Judy Judy said that the other day, I've been married to her forever. She says, not just a little, uh, little squirt of soap on your fingers. Do soap on the lenses. Rinse them, and then a clean cloth, and your glasses are perfect. Now, you have to have a clean cloth with you. Yeah, I, that's generally. like a, a new uh, like a, we have a, a, a dish towel we keep near our sink. That's uh, nice and fresh for glasses. But I, that's generally what I do a little bit of something. But I, I never, ever have been able to get my glasses as clean as they do at the eye doctor. At the eye doctor, they're perfect. Like there's no corner like up there near the top of the frame where it's still a little smudgy. They get it just perfect. Yeah, they pride themselves on that. That's <laughs> what you learn at eye doctor school. I bet Good Rand American Paul, workmanship. I bet Rand Paul knows how to do that really well. I'll bet he does. Here's your freedom loving quote of the day. It was uh, sent along by Bert, uh, who uh, watched uh, Tucker Carlson interview Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a really interesting guy. Um, and uh, Vivek said the following: A good barometer for the health of democracy, the American democracy, is the percentage of people who are willing to say what they actually believe in public. It's an interesting thought. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know how to a certain extent that's true. But like we talk about all the time about how when we were younger, people just didn't talk about this stuff. It just didn't. We're, yeah. we're constantly having conversations about the most crucial political issues with your friends. Absolutely true, and 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 I long for those days in one way. On the other hand, you can't deny that there are large swaths of this country where if you expressed a view that is held by 50% of the population, you would be a pariah in your office, you would lose friends, you would be told to shut up or be sure. called a racist. No and doubt. again, not representing some sort of fringe weather underground view that we ought to blow up post offices. I'm saying, you know, we ought to secure the border, that sort of thing. Yeah, so. that, that's funny. That's a that's a that's a very good example. I think most people would be scared to say that out loud in a group of people. We need to mm-hmm. secure the border. We got to stop illegal immigrants from coming in. Say that out loud in a group of people, even though I think 85 percent of America agrees with you. That's weird. We have some good serious emails. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com is the. Uh, is the email address, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. But you know what? Let's keep things light. Here's uh, uh, me. Emmy initials, I think. Here's how you could teach gender studies to the Taliban or in Afghanistan, which uh, we were trying to do. Uh, folks, in America, apparently men don't always have a penis. Women don't always have a vajayjay. Please don't kill me. Allah be praised. Death to the great Satan. Class dismissed. Probably sound a little like that. Taliban band did a press conference yesterday in which they said they're going to treat women fairly and allow them to participate in government. That's uh, in Kabul. No, they're not. And a town not far from there, a woman was shot for not uh, having covered her head yesterday by the Taliban. Let's see. Uh, Arizona Matt writes, guys, 
on the topic of Don McLean and his wife. Don McLean, we figured out, is 75 years old and has a wife who is, brace yourselves now, 27. I, I think it's just a girlfriend, but that it's the guy who sang oh. American Pie, if you don't know who that is. American Pie. He had one giant, giant hit that like made him famous forever. He's Still an old gets played twice a day on every oldie station in America. He's an old man. He has a 27-year-old girlfriend. I asked Are yesterday. No, I'm not, Ian. <laughs> Seriously. Ian. And my question to both of them was, why? But both of you. What are you doing? All what right, now here's, here's the key part of the email we have to get to. If you use the tried and true method of determining the lower age limit of your spouse, which is half your age plus seven years, Don McLean's actual wife is too young to marry his theoretical one if she were bisexual. <laughs> 75 divided by 2 is 37 plus 7 is 42. So the youngest wife Don McLean ought to have is 42. 42 divided by 2 is 21, plus 7 is 28, and his wow. current wife is 27. Wow. So he's doubly upside down on that formula. I think it's incest or something. It's, I don't know. It's, it's not normal for either one of them. That's what I'm thinking. Don't, don't, you know, both your sets of friends could get together behind your back. Both your sets of friends and say, what are they doing? <laughs> I think it's the free market at work, if you know what I mean. It's a transaction. Might be. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. As part of their new image, the Taliban are promising Afghanistan's women, trust us, we've changed. Also, they promise no reprisal killings. That's not really comforting when you have to guarantee that. It reminds me of Taco Bell's ad for the Gordita Crunch Wrap. This time, we promise it's meat. Wow. Wow. A couple of things there. I can't believe that he thinks that, um, you know, the really hardcore realities of the war in Afghanistan are something that he needs to uh, touch on for humor in his show. Kind of interesting. Because mm-hmm. you could gloss over that. Uh, and two, why the shot at Taco Bell out of nowhere? Or Taco Bell. Uh, Wall Street Journal with some of the behind-the-scenes realities on Biden's decision-making. It's kind of interesting. Maybe we'll get to that next segment. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Uh, something completely non-Afghanistan for the moment, though. I read this story with great interest a few weeks ago. I think I saw this headline. Maybe you did, too, that Monsignor Jeffrey Burrell, General Secretary of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, resigned from his post yeah. after a publication called The Pillar reported that he had been active on a gay dating app. And you know, frequented gay bars. We did that story. Maybe it was a day you weren't here. But, yeah, they uh, they came up with all kind of grinder, was it, information? You know what? Now that you mentioned grinder, yeah, I think I was here that day. Anyway, um, on its face, the story wasn't all that unique. Burl's behavior violated clerical obligations of chastity, but not any laws. And it's not like he's ever the first gay priest ever in the church. No way. But the, but the manner of Burl's outing has set off a series of alarm bells. The pillar, the publication's source, wasn't a disgruntled ex-lover or someone who came across his profile on an app. Rather, the news outlet obtained, quote, commercially available records of app signal data that allowed it to keep tabs on a mobile device correlated to Burl and unearthed his secret life. Here's how it worked. 
Commercially available app signal data does not identify the names of app users, but instead correlates a unique numerical identifier to each mobile device using particular apps. Signal data collected by apps after users consent to data collection is aggregated and sold to data vendors. It can then be analyzed to provide time-stamped location data and usage information for each numbered device. So the pillar correlated a unique mobile device to Burl when it was used consistently for a couple of years from the staff of the Conference of Bishops, from the residents and headquarters, uh, from meetings at which Burl was recorded to be in attendance. It would take you like all... three days to determine that's who this they belong to. I mean, oh, yeah. it would, wouldn't you wouldn't have to be some sort of super sleuth to figure it out particularly if you had a tail on him, but uh, they did it retroactively, and it wasn't that difficult, I guess. It was also used on numerous occasions at Burl's family lake house, Public... near the residence of Burl's family members, etc. But publicly available, you say? Yes. Yep, that's correct. You did, it's uh, aggregated and sold by data vendors. So the saga launched a debate over who really owns one's digital data. Well, you don't, that's for sure. And how that data can and should be used in in looking for illicit behavior, and uh, that debate's about to get a whole lot louder. God, I would now, say. So Apple just announced a handful of changes to its operating system intended to protect children from predators and porn and all sorts of stuff. And it's it's pretty interesting, but I think it would get a little long and techy to describe all of it. Um, it, it has to do with, well, it has to do with protecting children from bad content and predators, as I said. It's the third update that has privacy advocates most concerned. They use a technology called Neural Hash, and Apple will soon be able to detect known child porn images on any iPhone uh, that users stores on iCloud. Now, other tech firms have done this for a long time, like Google and Microsoft and Facebook. But rather than scanning all images users choose to upload to Apple's online services, the company said its system will perform on-device matching, which is comparing images stored locally on a user's phone converted into an unreadable set of hashes. It's like a computer code. Um, It's going to compare those hashes to a database of known child pornography maintained by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in similar groups. Okay, that explains what I was asking last week. Because when I first heard this, I thought, how the hell are they going to differentiate between a horrifying crime and a picture of my five-year-old naked in the tub? How how is an algorithm going to figure that out? Well, they're comparing it to known actual child porn stuff. That, 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 right. I get it. That's that's pretty clever. So I think you're okay. It, it, there's one more twist, though, that's pretty interesting. If a user meets a certain threshold of inappropriate images, the images themselves are revealed on Apple's back end and manually reviewed to confirm that they are child porn. Only then will Apple disable the user's account and notify the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Now, Apple claims this system was designed with privacy in mind, because the company will never learn anything about images that don't match those codes we're talking about. Um, but privacy hawks are concerned. Here's what they're concerned about. This is Julian Sanchez, senior fellow at the Cato Institute, who follows tech. The user's own device is going to be scanning the data on their own device for a purpose that is ultimately adverse to the user's interest. We don't really care if something is adverse to the interests of pedophiles, but that means the process is running on your own device. Good point. It has to be designed to resist efforts by the users to disable that process. And I think that's a dangerous step to 
it take? Yeah, I, I, that makes sense to me. Long story short, your phone is surveilling you for a lovely purpose. It's it's like if the cops checked your trunk every day. No, well, you know, if you didn't do anything, don't worry about it. That's not the way we, you know, that's not the way we do privacy and freedom in America. And I realize this is a private co- company, not the the government, but we we don't go with a, we're going to look through uh, we're going to look through your, your drawers, your taxes, your personal information, all of it. And if you didn't do anything wrong, don't worry, you'll be fine. Yeah, we're just going to constantly scan every record and every inch of your living space. That's not the way we do it. No. Uh, so this this article uh, from the Dispatch, which is quite excellent, it, it then mentions the uh, the fight Apple had with the FBI. You remember after the horrifying mm-hmm. 2015 terrorist attack in San Bernardino, they refused to give the keys to unlock the phone. Five years later, the company is moving in some critics' eyes to crack open the back door into people's private data it fought for so long to keep closed. Says uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, quote, it's impossible to build a client-side scanning system that can only be used for sexually explicit images sent or received by children. All it would take to widen the narrow back door that Apple is building is an expansion of the machine learning parameters to look for additional types of content or a tweak of the configuration flags to scan not just children's but anyone's accounts. That's not a slippery slope. That's a fully built system just waiting for external pressure to make the slightest changes. And uh, thousands of privacy advocates signed an open letter calling on Apple to reverse its decision. You know, in, in, in a theoretical universe, this is such an interesting discussion. In the universe we live in, where uh, the NSA has done what it's done, where hackers are, are constantly hacking, where people are being, uh, you know, I almost said vaxxed, uh, doxxed and, 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 uh, and ruined and hounded out of their, their workspace and all, it's pretty concerning. Well, I, I don't know if we talked about this much last week, but I was seeing it pop up a lot on the, on the Twitter feed and that sort of stuff, the... Announcement from the government of what qualifies as a domestic terrorist and that sort of thing. And, you know, your various, you know, I was talking about being anti-government earlier in the show. It does not take much to qualify as a uh, anti-government radical that the government needs to keep an eye on you uh, in our current, you know, in, in the in the wake of the January 6th storming of the Capitol. So they have a pretty broad definition of people they need to. I'll bet you'd be shocked at how uh, thin an excuse they currently need to be uh, spying on you. Right. And then Susan Rice. I'll bet bet it doesn't take very much pro-Trump or very much anti-government this or that before you're, okay, you're in this category where all your information is routed through the NSA or the FBI or whoever's looking at it. Man, I was going to say, whether it was uh, Susan Rice or Susan Powers. Is it Susan Powers or what's that? Powers. Depends on who you're talking about. What the, <laughs> the red-haired former ambassador to the Susan, U.N. That is Susan Powers. Who, who if uh, there wasn't enough interesting TV on, would call the NSA and have Americans' names unmasked, uh, you yeah. know, roughly on a weekly basis. So it's, not only is it not hard to imagine, it's like effortless to imagine that being exploited. Yeah, and well, no kidding. It, well, that's the history of mankind, the history of governments and the history of mankind, that if they can exploit, if it can be exploited, it will be at some point. You know where this departs in an almost hilarious way from Orwell? And it's, uh, yeah, it's not a new observation, but this is not a device that the government is implanting under our skin or forcing us to carry under pain of death. We do it willingly, voluntarily. And in fact, if we leave it on the counter when we walk out of the house, oh we run back oh panic-stricken. <laughs> yeah, that is what nobody foresaw. 
that uh, that people would willingly carry around a tracking device with every bit of information about their thoughts and preferences in it and uh, and, and just willingly do that. And then when they find out that private companies and the government have access to it, most of us will shrug and say, eh, well, what are you going to do? It's just astou- it's astounding. Uh, looking at a headline, Biden below 50% approval rating for first time. I don't know which poll that is. I'll look into it. But my guess would be those numbers were gathered before the weekend, before Afghanistan collapsed. Um, uh, so we, we're, we're yet to see how that's going to affect him. And I don't know how much it is. Read a little bit from the Wall Street Journal coming up on his decision-making process and uh, what he said in the closed-door meetings while everyone was telling him this was a bad idea. The military people, the state the people, everybody was telling him this is a bad idea. And what he said, pretty persuasive to me. It doesn't Interesting. Mean, doesn't mean you had to do it this way. Maybe you could have secured an air base before or something like that so you don't end up with 15,000 Americans trapped there. Ah, uh, yeah, not so good. Plus, prominent U.S. Senator has called for invoking the 25th Amendment. Oh, boy. Remove Biden from office. Mentally incompetent. Non-compassmentous. You know, we got a promise. We got a guarantee. Top of second hour, we're going to get to the, uh, the, 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 four, I was going to say crazy person, but that's judgmental. That yeah. Show, showed up at the city supervisors meeting in, uh, San Diego. And, uh, and had a lot to say about mask mandates and all that sort of stuff. Colorful gentlemen. <laughs> oh, I'd say adamant, to say the least. <laughs> so we'll get to that to kick off hour two. Armstrong and Getty. We are going to hold the Taliban accountable to not allowing al-Qaeda to have a safe haven there. And if they do, there will be costs and consequences for the Taliban in addition to the direct suppression of al-Qaeda that we will have the capability to pursue. Okay, that was uh, speaking to a different thing that they're going to hold the Taliban accountable uh, for. That's Jake Sullivan, who is, what is he? Then Is he the National Security Advisor? Whatever he is. Correct, sir. Um, uh, He was going to hold the Taliban accountable for... Uh, saying they're going to allow safe passage for people to the airport. So uh, between that and the fact that they're not going to harbor al-Qaeda, it's laughable that we're going to hold them Al-Qaeda accountable. al-Qaeda fighting side-by-side with them right now? Yeah, out in the countryside. And and it's laughable that we're, we're going to hold them accountable anyway. So we're going to invade the country and start a war with the Taliban? Seems unlikely. Yes. Seems unlikely. So uh, there, this reminds me of the Iraq War conversation. Yeah, like you skip a step. There's a step in there. Where you skip the step. So a lot of the Iraq war conversation at the time and after was, you know, when it was falling apart and afterwards was, should we have gone in or not? Okay, well, there's, there's, should we gone in and then how you go in, right? So those are, those are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. You can't just lump them all together. Should, uh, should grandpa get heart surgery? And we all decide yes, and then I go yes. get a butcher knife and start carving them up. I mean, that's it not, was a bad policy. That's not the way to do it, even if it was Barbaric. a good idea. So I kind of think we skipped that <laughs> step. A lot of people are skipping that step with Joe Biden. The majority of Americans, the majority of talk show hosts, I think, were okay with uh, getting out of Afghanistan. Doesn't mean you needed to do it this way. But the Wall Street Journal has got uh, their front page top of the fold story is Biden new risks of hasty withdrawal. And it's how he had several meetings in recent days 
in which everybody, all the military people, all the State Department, everybody was saying, this is not a good idea. This could really go bad. It's really shaky. Things could fall apart quickly. Um, State Department officials, intelligence officials saying the security was deteriorating in Afghanistan and they expressed concerns both about the capabilities of the military and the Taliban's likelihood to take over the whole country. So he's being told this from every single person in the meeting that this was a possibility. But he told them this. He said, I'm committed to ending this. I'm going to be the president that ends this. Uh, the Af- we are s- keeping the Afghan government on life support. They're corrupt. They've squandered billions of dollars, and I want to turn our attention toward China. Pretty hard to argue with that. It's pretty hard for me to argue with that. They're is corrupt. that a false choice, though? We're, oh, oh, that is true. We're holding up a, a a pretend government that will collapse the moment we leave. Why? They've squandered billions of dollars. They don't seem to care about their own country. And China's the big threat for uh, for America for the coming century. So, I'm out. Um, why you do it this way, That that's a completely different conversation. Yeah, it's it seems a little, but again, uh, false choiceish to me, honey. I can't uh, clean the garage because I've got to work. Um, well, you can you can do both. How about you clean the garage when you get home? Well, it, it's, again, another part that I think gets uh, messed up is um, look at what the Taliban is doing. That was going to happen even if we did it right. If we got out, even if we did it right, and we managed to get all the uh, U.S. citizens out first, we secure the air base. We pull out, we, you know, orderly way to leave the uh, embassy. We're not smashing computers, burden S- files. Strip, strip the beds and bring the laundry to the laundry room, right? All that bad stuff was still good. The Taliban was still going to execute women in the street for not wearing a face covering. They were still going to sure. close down uh, girls' schools. They were still going to um, behead people that had helped the United States. That was gonna ha- that's going to happen no matter what. Th- that gets kind of blurred into this whole thing, I think. Um, which, which is, I hate to say unfair to Joe Biden, but it's, it's unfair to the policy of getting out. That was going to happen no matter what. Yeah, I see your point. There's, there's so much ambivalence. There's so many conflicting feelings, at least speaking for myself on this, because I mean, I think I could, I could seriously change poll numbers if I were to, to describe Afghanistan, not as a war, because it hasn't really been a war for a very, very long time and say, Hey, we have an ally, the Afghan government. They're pretty weak. They're a baby country. They're brand new, and uh, and they need our help. Just a few troops, some air support, keep some mechanics on the bases, got to keep training them up, and we're making progress. It's slow. Yeah, they're corrupt. They're not very good at it, but again, they're an ally, and it's it's not that expensive. Yeah, no, did uh, not that expensive. Uh, who pointed this out yesterday? Somebody I like pointed out that it's 1%. Oh, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell said it's 1% of our military budget that was being spent in Afghanistan, the way we were currently doing it with a couple thousand Trump, people there. Trump on Hannity said, ah, oh, it's way more than that. But I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so it's not much money, and people weren't dying. And it kept the country from being overrun by the Taliban, which I only care about as a U.S. citizen because it allows al-Qaeda. Um, so you're right. That is another option. I heard a podcast yesterday. I got to read the book about this. It is about the power of narrative in human beings' minds. We are oh, all yeah. we we all run our lives based on a, a narrative, and we don't we don't even know we've got these narratives. Maybe about your marriage, about your workplace, about your friends, about your kids, 
about the world, about politics. You have these narratives that you've built up. And the way human beings work is once you decide on a narrative, maybe you, you use your spouse as an example, whatever, you can use anything. Once we decide on a narrative, we look for things that will back up that narrative and discard things that won't. That's the way we're built. Facebook could tell you that. Um, <laughs> right. Cable news could tell right. you that. But we do that in all aspects of our lives. So if you're like, if your narrative is, um, you know, uh, I, I love my wife, our marriage is good. You're going to look for stuff that that reinforces that and discard things that don't. I've I've done that quite intentionally throughout our marriage. Well, sure. I but, realized early on that that was the a good way to make it work. Well, sure, but we do it unconsciously also. I mean, it's just just mm-hmm. the way sure. human beings are made. And you know, maybe marriage is a bad idea because that one's so uh, intense and you're you're focused on it. Your job, your friends, your everything, your sports team, everything, and uh, and so they transitioned that to the power of narrative working the way it does in human beings' minds, and we allowed people to use the narrative of this being a war for all these years. So everything was looked at through the lens of a war. Are we winning the war or are we losing the war? Why are we still in this war? When that narrative was completely wrong and has been wrong Boy, for I, like I agree completely. at least 10 years, maybe 15 years. So the narrative, and then people are still saying it, whether it's Fox or MSB, America's longest war coming to a close. No, it's not. It's not a war coming to a close. It's really interesting. I'd say. Armstrong and Getty.